0: that course, don't you? It's a good one. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight. Turn over the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We're still in our um, Proverbs study on Wednesday nights. Our building, uh, we had our fire alarm and our fire suppression inspection the other day. we were guaranteed they would pass with flying colors. And the inspector walked in, having not eaten lunch, upset, not wanting to be there, and the first sign of trouble, which there was, he left. So the inspection only got so far and he took off and fled, and we have to reschedule that one. So our, our uh, you know everybody can make mistakes, and so we assume that that's what happened with our, our uh, contractors. And uh, hopefully they'll get that worked out, and we can pass that inspection. And if we pass that inspection, then we can go ahead and try to get our occupancy permit. And so you be praying, but I really need you to pray, not just about our fire alarm. I want you to pray for our inspector. I want you to pray that the Lord will will tenderize his heart toward this ministry. I really do. There's a few things there. You just be praying that the Lord will send the right man to get that job done, all right? so that whenever it comes time for that final inspection, they'll be prepared to say, hey, you know what? I can work with these people. Now, I'm not saying they're going to let anything go that's bad, but I'm saying that they're going to go ahead and say, okay, well, listen, that's got to get taken care of. We'll let you get in the building. you take care of this. We may come back and fix that or take care of that, check it or whatever it may be, but just be praying about some things. There was a situation. you got to understand, when we moved into the building, we, uh, uh, you know, because the building was older, because the building had been occupied already, uh, we, we were grandfathered in on some things. But it's not always, uh, inspectors aren't always as thrilled to uh, pass things that were grandfathered in by their predecessors. Right. And so, um, you know, just be praying that our, our inspector will, will have a good spirit and a good attitude the next time he shows up, and he'll be ready to, to work with uh, us and help us along the way as a public servant, ought to. And so we'll go ahead and just pray in that direction, all right? And we could use your prayers about that. And I mean, I want you to seriously pray about it, because we are in need of prayer. And uh, so uh, right now, we're set back about a week or so, at least, maybe two. We'll see where we're at. Uh, hopefully this week, we can get that uh, fire alarm scheduled again, get it taken care of. And then we're ready to schedule our uh, inspection, our final. And uh, Lord willing, we'll get through that without any major complications, and we can get at least our occupancy permit begin to move in and start to minister at least on a uh, you know, a limited basis until we can complete the project as whole. So nonetheless, um, that's where we're at with that, and some folks were asking this morning, I figured I'd give you a, kind of an insight, but again, like I say, pray for our inspector, pray for the inspections, pray for our contractors that they get their portion done right, because You are not getting in a building unless that fire alarm and that fire suppression system is working exactly as it's supposed to. And so be praying about that, please. All right. Um, By the way, it should work. We have about almost $130,000 between the two. So it should work pretty well, I think. All right? And so let's be praying that they get it right so that we can get in there. All right? That'll be good. All right. All right. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, people ask me, you know, well, I, this is, you know, and I've had people, and again, I, I appreciate the sympathy and uh, the understanding. People say, oh, this has got to be really hard on you, and, and there's a lot of other things, obviously, they're probably thinking of at the same time, but if it is, it has anything to do with the building, to be frank with you folks, I'm not in the least bit concerned. Uh, we'll get in there when we get in there. Right. I, honestly, I don't go to sleep at night worrying, oh, what are we going to do? <laughs> I don't do that. Uh, it's not my problem. We have done everything that we can do. Right. We really have. We have done everything that we can do. And, you know, that, that's all. If, if, if the inspector comes and says, this has to be fixed, or that, we're going to do it. We'll take care of it. You know, it, we'll do it. But so far, we have passed every single inspection, and we've done our part, and God will take care of our contractors. If we're praying and asking the Lord to take care of this, they'll get their part done. I know they will. I know that their desire is not to hang around there any longer than they have to. And so, you know, just pray, because we'll let the Lord handle this, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm just letting the Lord have his way with that thing, and we'll be fine. We will be fine. I think we're doing just fine here, if you ask me, but I, I believe that God would have us there, and in his time, we will indeed be there. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. The Bible says, let us therefore fear, lest the promise be left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to, uh, excuse me... Um, Let us therefore fear, lest, a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. A very interesting uh, passage of scripture. If we would take the time to read the closing verses of chapter 3, the same book, We could easily see that this passage is dealing with Israel. That it's a continuation of chapter 3. In the Old Testament, of course, we know that Israel was promised what would be often called the promised land. Or really, it was Canaan land. A land already inhabited. A land already occupied. But one that was destined to be theirs. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 24 the Bible says, but I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. God had clearly identified Israel as a very unique possession. And then he turns around and he says, you are a separated people, an unusual people. You are my people. And he says, of all the nations, you are the most, you're the apple of my eye, if you will. And so God promised them an abundant land that flowed with milk and honey. That's an amazing future that they had to look forward to. That was an amazing hope that was theirs. To think that one day they would have this land. To realize that they would ultimately live in a place that was already prepared for them. A land that flowed with milk and honey. What great hope they must have had. However, although the promise was made... That isn't exactly how it all turned out, is it? After being delivered out of Egypt, being rescued at the Red Sea, being given the law of God, and now being poised to enter the the land that God had promised them. They send out some spies to do a little recon work, a little research on the land. To go in to spy it out, to check it out, to see where the strongholds were, to see what was taking place, to recognize, just get an idea of the geography or the layout of the land. And in Numbers chapter 13, verses 23 through 24, it says, And they came unto the brook Eschil, and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. One cluster of grapes. And the Bible goes on to say that they bear it between two upon a staff. This cluster of grapes was so vast, so great, that literally two men carried it. Two men carried it. it wasn't enough just to put a, you know, I go to the grocery store today and you get a cluster of grapes. You know, you hold it between your, your little finger and you hold it up there. It's no problem. You can eat them in a matter of moments. We're talking about a cluster of grapes in the promised land, though. A cluster of grapes in Canaan land. And boy, I mean, they had a big old stick between the two of them, and there it hung, and you could just see that stick bowing in the middle as they carried it, and it bounced a little bit as they walked. I mean, this was a cluster of grapes in Canaan land, a land that flowed with milk and honey. It goes on to say that they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the Brook Eskiel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. So they make their way back. They return with proof in their hands that the land was exactly as the Lord had described it. I mean, exactly. But they also returned with reservations. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 13, verse 27 through 28, it says, and they told him and said, "We come into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it." Boy, I mean, what a great report, right? There they are before Moses and Aaron and the people. Here's the here's the land. You're know, that land we just came from it, and boy, it does flow with milk and honey. And here's proof of the land, and here's proof of what it produces. And man, I mean to tell you, it's everything God said. It's a wonderful place. But that's not where it ends. In verse 28, they said, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled. And very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Dropping down to verse 33 of Numbers 13, he goes on to say, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight I always love that I never can skip it over skip over it without saying something about it if you've been here long enough you'll know I always have to talk about this but it's interesting that how you see yourself is how you believe others see you I mean, in this particular passage, how simple it is, he says, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. He goes on, and so we were in their sight. I thought they were spying the land out. I I wonder how it was when they walked through, oh, you guys are the little guys. You're like grasshoppers. (laughs) I don't think, I I doubt anybody said, look at them grasshoppers over there. I bet you that never happened i got to believe that when they came back, they started talking about the fact that, boy, these were giants in and we We're like grasshoppers in their sight, and I'm sure they viewed us the same way. You know, that's what we do sometimes. We get a complex. We see ourselves in a different light than other people see us. you got to be real careful. You see yourself small, you'll think other people are looking at you small. They go on to say, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. It was a sad night. Sad time in the history of Israel. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. The whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness. Isn't that something? Once again, we note how quickly, how quickly our emotions can cloud our judgment and ultimately lend itself to irrationality. The people were fearful and the people were concerned and afraid. They'd received a bad report and now they're murmuring against Moses. They're murmuring against Aaron. Why? Because they are so emotional. You lose sight of reality here. What was the ultimate outcome of this sad affair? Well, Israel failed to enter the promised land. Look, if you would, in Hebrews now, we're there still, chapter 3. Go back to verse 19. Again, the end of chapter 3 sets the stage for the beginning of chapter 4. And notice it says, so we see that they could not enter in. Because of unbelief. So we see. God intends that we see some things. And as you go through the word of God, and as I go through the word of God, He wants us to keep our eyes open. As we go through life, He wants us to keep our eyes open. God wants us to see things. Why? Because in seeing, we can learn. And as a result, we go back now to the Old Testament. As a result, we're being... Plummeted back into that, that, that time when Israel is preparing to go into the promised land. And God says, listen, now I want you to know how it ended. I want you to realize that they didn't make it in. I want you to know that with all my promises and with all my, my blessings in their life, they still failed to take the promised land, to occupy the land that I promised them. Why? Because of unbelief. You see that? Do you see they couldn't enter in because of unbelief? They had received the promises. That's true. But failed to exercise faith. See, the word of God was not mixed with faith. And so they entered not. Oh, the promise was just as good as it's ever been. God's promises are always yea. The only problem is, is that there has to be faith mixed with it. At least that's what the Bible teaches. So the word preached did not profit them. And why? It wasn't mixed with faith. Faith is required in every endeavor. There's not one thing that we do where faith is not required. It's not necessary. It's not essential. There's nothing we're to attempt in our own strength alone. There's no way we're not to do it. The promises of God, or should I say the promise of God without faith, I guess it could be like eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without peanut butter. <laughs> Try to involve everyone in the service here. That's not a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at all. That's just a jelly sandwich. <laughs> Having the promise of God without faith I guess it would be like macaroni and cheese without the cheese. That wouldn't be any good. The Bible says, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. God's promises must be mixed with faith. When I was in the military, I got into a place where I was, they, they kind of, kind of, Allow you to work in other fields sometimes. If there's a need in the military, guess what? Your MOS or your, your training means nothing. We just throw you where we need you, and there you go. Well, but I was trained to be a, it doesn't matter, just go take your spot over there. So I was never trained to call fire, but I was given the opportunity to learn how to call fire in. And so you'd go out on a hill somewhere and you'd look out where the enemy was posted and you would uh, have these howitzers that were miles away and all of a sudden you'd call in their uh, uh, particular latitude and longitude and down would come raining upon them all these bombs. And if they came up short, you'd say short, 75 yards short, and you'd call in the fire so that eventually you could, you know, uh, just hit the target perfectly. So as I was doing that, I had the opportunity to go back to that uh, battery and get a chance to see those particular howitzers. And it was interesting that they, they basically, when you would call in fire, they would set charges that would enable that round to go either further or less far. I mean, it, it, the round just slid in, then it set charges. Those charges are what fired that that big piece of steel out there, that that bomb out there, if you will. So you have a a long ways to go, a big charge. You have a little ways to go, a small charge. And really, when you think about it, that's exactly what we're dealing with here. We have have the, the piece of steel. We've got the bomb there. There it is. It's ready to go. I mean, we have the promise of God right before us. The problem is there has to be a charge or there'll be no effective blow. I don't know about you, but if you've ever done anything with concrete, especially that ready mix, you go to the store and you buy a big bag of it, whether it's, you know, 60 pounds or 80, whatever. Of course, I always like the 80s because I like to carry heavy weights. <laughs> Some of the guys would prefer the smaller ones. I know that. But anyway, you know, so we get those big 80 pounders or those 60 pounders and we take them and you bust them open and you, 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 you spread it out and boy, i tell you, you know what it looks like? Sand. Do you know that that will never do anything as long as it stays in that condition? Do you know that you have to add water before it's even useful? You've got to add water. So you can have all the the concrete you want or quickcrete you want, but the fact is, is that it's there. It's ready for use. All you have to do, though, is add some water. And May I say that the promises of God must be mixed with faith, or they will do you no good whatsoever. We've been working over the carousel for a number of months, years, <laughs> and, you know, you get over there and you've got, say, say, steel beams to put up or possibly drywall to hang on walls. You, you often you have to use a power tool. sure beats a screwdriver. You get one of them, uh, you know, power screwdrivers, you know, and so you, you, got, you got a drill and you've just, you got to what? You got to put that power pack in it. Dude, you can have the drill and you can, have, you can have the bit and you can have the screws and everything you need. But let me tell you something. You're not going to get anything done until you mix that battery with it. A charged battery, mind you. <laughs> and as soon as you do that, you're off to the races. Now you can get something done. Now you can accomplish what you set out to do. Now you can see great things come about as a result. But it's not until you mix it with that battery. Again, the children of Israel were prepared to go into the promised land. At least God had put them in the right place at the right time. I mean, He had made all the promises. He had guaranteed them that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Even as the spies came back, they even attested to that reality and said, there's no doubt, God is true. He indeed does have a land that flows with milk and honey. It's an amazing place. But the Bible says they did not enter because they didn't mix the promise of God with faith. Unbelief kept them from entering the promised land. So, there's three things I think we can easily learn from the passage. Three simple thoughts tonight, and then we'll be done. So, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. Bless us now, Father, in these next few minutes as we consider the Word of God. Lord, may you just drive home your truths. We are grateful for the privilege of your promises and, Lord, to know that you are there for us in every circumstance and situation. Lord, may we not be guilty of not mixing your promises with faith, not exercising faith in our lives. Lord, help us to see how that ends. And ensure that it's not the case in our life, our homes, our marriages, our families, even our ministries. We love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, we learn very quickly that faith is required. Faith is required. It's not optional in our life. It's required. It's not something that you can do without or I can do without, really. It's required. Look, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. A tremendous passage, of course. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we read, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Again, without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's not unlikely. It's impossible. It's not difficult. It's impossible. I mean, do you realize that biblically and scripturally, from what we read, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. Impossible someone says, well, you know, I'm, I'm just struggling. I'm having a hard time believing. Then you're not pleasing him. Well, no, I'm, I'm doing all the right things. I'm just having a hard time exercising faith. That's not pleasing him. Oh, I didn't say that we all... Don't struggle maybe from time to time with faith. I'm not saying that we don't sometimes have to have a faith check. I'm not saying that we are not that we always have it all going for us. And that we never doubt a little bit. That we never wonder even what God's doing. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying really realistically, biblically, that if we do not exercise faith. If we are not, as the Bible says here, you know, doing our part by faith. Then we're not pleasing Him. We're not pleasing Him. I can't please God if I'm not. Living by faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Israel failed to occupy the promised land because they lacked faith. Did that please the Lord? Of course it didn't. God wanted them to be in the land. God had expected them to be in the land in that sense. God desired them to be in the land. He wanted what was best for them. They had the promise, but they lacked the faith. You know, if we were in a smaller setting, this would be a perfect time to say, okay... What are some of the promises that we have that we struggle to apply in our life or that we struggle to believe at times? This would be a perfect place for that. And we'd have all kinds of answers. And people say, well, this or this or that. Or... And you know what? In every situation, you'd say, I'd say, you know what? I, yes, absolutely. I've seen evidence of that. Maybe in my own life, maybe in the lives of others. But you're right. There's so many situations, so many promises of God that we question or that we doubt or that we fail to embrace. Because of what? Unbelief. Why would a young man or a young lady marry someone that's not saved and faithful in God's house? Why would they do that? Why? I'll tell you why. Unbelief. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It's unbelief. Why doesn't somebody choose to Serve the Lord like they ought to? Unbelief. Why don't they give to God like they ought to? Unbelief. Why, why don't they obey the word of God in every situation and circumstance? Why do we struggle with this? Unbelief. I mean, it's simple. It's not complicated here. But let's not be so arrogant and so condescending to somehow believe that we're still right with God and we please the Lord all the time, even though we fail to exercise faith in our life. How is it that we can go along in life and say, God, everything's good between me and you, amen? But I'm struggling to believe you in this area, and therefore I won't obey you in that area. You can't please God, nor can I, if we're not exercising faith. And you know how faith is evidenced more than anything? Through our obedience. They had the promise, but they lacked the faith. If they would have had the faith to obey God, they would have obtained that promised land. What potential blessings have we forfeited because of our unbelief? How many opportunities would we have had to praise God with a soul saved or with a family member saved if we would have only obeyed the Lord when he spoke to our heart through the Spirit to witness or to share or to pass a track? But unbelief kept us from doing those things. Israel remained in the wilderness. You know how long they were in the wilderness? You know, 40 years. 40 being the number of testings. 40 years. Their faithlessness affected their outlook, and their outlook affected their decision. And it cost them greatly, didn't it? I wonder what sad misfortune you and I will endure as a result of the lack of faith in our lives. How many hurts and heartaches will we have to endure because of our faithlessness? Faith is required. Number two, faith is rare. It's very rare. I mean, genuine, biblical faith is rare. More rare than we would imagine. You consider the amount of people that live on the face of the earth. How many people truly exercise faith? It's pretty rare, isn't it? Well, let's just go ahead and narrow it down to all those that attend church across the spectrum. I mean, every church there is in America, no matter what its faith or what its brand. How many of them actually, how many of them genuinely live by faith? Even a small percentage of those. Wait a second. Let's narrow it down to just Baptist churches of all brands, all shapes and all sizes. I wonder how many of them actually live by faith. You know, that Sunday morning crowd that shows up in the churches across America. I wonder how many live by faith throughout the week. Well, let's narrow it down even a little bit more. Let's get down to just fundamental Baptist churches. Churches like yours and churches like mine here. I wonder how many of that crowd on Sunday will live by faith. Yeah. Will allow their lives to be led and directed by the Word of God and the promises of God without reservation. We'll always exercise faith, and if God said it, that settles it. I I get a little perturbed with God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Who cares if you believe it? That's right, amen. If God said it, that's enough. That's right, amen. The only problem is there's no faith. If you have to believe it first, then what you're saying is I don't have faith. The promise is already there. The word of God is already outlined and declared. Now it's a matter of us empowering. Being empowered by faith. Faith is rare. See, the object of faith is interesting, isn't it? Object. Think about that. You know, in one sense, I guess, although biblical faith is extremely rare, faith itself is not rare at all in that sense. I guess I was wrong when I said faith is rare because in reality it's not rare. You say it isn't? No. No, in and of itself, it is quite common, actually. We often exercise faith in doctors, don't we? Our doctor tells us to take this pill and you'll feel better. And we go, of course. We take the pill. We don't even know what it'll really do to us. We know we're supposed to get better. We take the doctor's word by faith. Wait a second. What about lawyers? More than you would ever realize, I promise you, if you were prepared to go to jail for a long time and you did not know what you were going to do and you're just hoping and praying that you don't end up in prison, your lawyer says, now this is what we're going to do. And you go, you know what you're doing? Yes. Okay. Because you don't know the law. Not like he or she knows the law. So by faith, you go, okay, let's go to court. If you tell me that's what I need to do, I got to believe someone Sadly enough, we even have faith in salesmen. I mean, think about the things we purchase and that we buy because they tell us we really need it. You're right, I need that, that's for sure. I was watching an old episode of that Tim the Tool Man Taylor the other day. And he was up at night watching that, an infomercial on something crazy. You know how it is. He wants more power and all that stuff. And later his wife comes in and they're talking about some things. And finally she sees this, this, this commercial or she sees something and she goes, what crazy, something to do with who in the world would be so stupid to buy that, that product? And he went, yeah, you're right, I don't know. And off he went. He would already ordered it. Because he believes the salesman. I got to have it. I mean, faith isn't that uncommon. Think about how we put our faith even in our our police officers at times. They'll keep us safe. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But but we do. Faith is something that we exercise. I mean, our government officials, whether we want to admit it or not, we have put our faith in many of our government officials. It seems in our day and age in which we live, there's a lot of uh, people trying to get us to doubt that. And through the years, we've wondered if there were conspiracy after conspiracy. But the fact was, is, and, and still is, If you really want to get down to it, we put a lot of faith in our public servants. How about our companies where we work? It used to be years ago, people thought they were going to retire. They were confident of that. They had faith in their company. They had faith in their, their leaders. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Faith. We all have faith today. The real question is, what is our faith in? Who is our faith in? It is very rare to find someone whose faith is truly in God or the Lord Jesus Christ. That is unusual indeed. Very rare. As Christians or believers, as church members, let's be honest, we can easily be found placing our faith and confidence in programs, plans, or processes. Well, if you simply use this Romans Road, then people will get saved. listen, there's nothing wrong, again, with the Romans Road. There's nothing wrong with learning how to lead folks to Christ. But in the end, it's not you, it's not me, it's not a program. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that wins people. We warn them, he wins them. Put the plan in place for our ministry, whether it's soul winning or whether it's the Sunday schools or it's what some kind of mechanism or mechanics of sort. We absolutely need structure in the church. God's not the author of confusion. He wants order in his church. Without a doubt, we understand that. But when we get to believing somehow, and it is common, that those processes, those mechanics will bring forth the product, we're really missing the boat. Our faith is in the wrong thing. Faith is substituted for such attributes as intelligence. Or maybe even effort. Or ingenuity at times. We're impressed. We're enamored with technology, it seems. Tools and applications. But I want you to understand tonight, there is no substitute for faith in God. None. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 118, verses 8 and 9. Psalm chapter 118, verses 8 through 9. There we read in Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Listen to me, we don't have to bribe judges and we don't have to bribe inspectors and we don't have to somehow try to schmooze and rub shoulders with people. We simply got a God in heaven that's big enough to answer prayer and to get the job done. We're not going to put our confidence in men. We're not going to put our confidence in a person. We're going to put our confidence in Jesus Christ, the God of all the universe. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31, the Bible says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Listen, I believe and we ought to have a strong military. I believe we need a presence of power so we can deter any, any idea of attack. I understand all that, and you don't have to agree with that. That's what I believe, and I believe biblically it's important that we take a stand for right in our nation. But here's the bottom line. It will not be our military that keeps us safe in the end. And that's what's so alarming in America today. Because it doesn't matter how much technology we have. It doesn't matter how much uh, infrastructure we build. It doesn't matter how big our army is and how powerful as a nation we become. If we neglect God and we turn our back on God, we're in trouble. Real trouble. In Psalm 127, verse 1, you probably could almost quote it. It says, except the Lord build the house... They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. For our faith needs to be in Him. That's the object of our faith. The Lord Jesus Christ. We see the observance of our faith. We need a faith that drives us to our knees in dependence on God. A faith that drives us to our knees. There's probably... Less prayer that goes on than any of us would imagine. I, I would like to believe I, I'm wrong about that, but I, I'm not so sure. You and I probably believe that everybody prays like we pray. You probably believe that everybody reads and studies their Bible like we read and study our Bibles. I hope you do. But I'm I'm, I'm sorry to say that there's a good chance. A likelihood even that most believers don't spend hardly any time at all in prayer outside of running out the door, jumping in the car and going, Lord, give me a blessed day. Keep my family safe. Amen. That's that would be a pitiful reality to our Christian. Would that be that is so shallow. And yet, unfortunately, I am convinced and concerned at the same time that that may be the case in many situations. We need a faith that draws us to God's word for direction. We need a faith that delivers us from the giants of this life. We need a faith that does away with fear and destroys doubt and causes us to delight in Christ Jesus. Faith is seen in our actions. Seen in our actions. It's wearisome. To hear people say that there's no need for any standards today. That everyone just live however you choose because God sees the heart. He's not concerned with this. All that matters is the inside. That's concerning to me. Hey, listen, I'm not I'm not one to beat a dead horse, so to speak. I don't think we have to stand in the pulpit and forever just gouge everybody's eyes out and make sure they know we're different than everybody and you know it and we better stand... I, 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 I understand there's a place and a time for that, but I don't have to go around telling this, women dressed like this, men dressed like this. All Listen, you get close to God, you'll understand what your real purpose in the life is and why you exist. You'll begin to understand that until you become everything God wants you to be, you really aren't what he wants you to be. And it's important that we focus on the heart, yes. But I'm going to tell you something. That if there's faith in your heart, it will reveal itself in your actions. Don't fool yourself and don't lie to yourself. Don't believe for a minute that you can continue to think the wicked thoughts of the world, continue to, to dwell on the things that the world loves, to, to, to gorge yourself on sensualism and all the things that go about and think somehow that it's okay, I'm, I'm good to go because I'm doing all the right things out here. Are you really doing all the right things? If you're doing those things, I, I, I think there's a heart problem already and that causes you to do what you're doing. How can you look at your heart and separate it from your actions? How can, it be like two people. It'd be like, stand up you two guys. Just stand up, face, face one in this direction, one this direction. There you go. Stand back to back. This is how most of our Christian lives are lived, right here. You have the heart, which is really corrupt and black as coal. And you've got the actions. We make a distinction between the two. We somehow try to, to, to convince ourselves that as long as this is okay, I'm, all, I'm not so bad after all in my heart. That's what we try to do. The reality is is that this should never be the case at all. Have a seat. You stand. It it should all be one. The heart and the actions reflect one. They they work together. How is it that we can be so cruel and mean to our spouses? How can we be so inconsistent with our children? How can we be so two-faced at work? And somehow believe our hearts right with God. Your actions aren't right. You want to know why they're not right? Because your heart's not right. That's it. Amen. You say, well, God's just, you know, I'm trying to do right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know about all that mess. And you come to church and you put on a tie. You may even have a suit on. You walk around and you may even be teaching Sunday school. But if that's you on the other side of town, then let me tell you something. God sees it, God knows. And the truth is, you can't separate what you are on the outside from what you are on the inside and vice versa ought to be it's all one have a seat i am convinced today i i am i am so convinced that many of our failures in our homes are because of that going on right there i'm convinced of it there has to be consistency in our lives an observance of faith it's not enough to just act right you've got to be right in the heart too To say I have faith in the Lord, but fail to heed and exercise his word is a poor testimony. He says, but wilt thou know, O man, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Finally, last, in closing, we just want to say this simply. Faith is rewarded. Faith is rewarded. It's always rewarded. It's required. It is rare, biblical faith. And faith is rewarded, though. You will never, ever regret living a life of faith. You won't. Now, it's easier to live by sight. It is easier. It's convenient. It's comfortable even at times. It, but, but hold on. It, it only pays for a period of time, okay? And then all of a sudden, that, that runs out. We have to be very careful that we focus and live by faith. Hebrews eleven six. 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The Israelites, if they would have exercised faith, if they would have obeyed God's word, if they would have crossed the Jordan River, they would have occupied that land. I don't care how big the Anakins were. It doesn't matter how fortified their cities were. It wouldn't matter how many steel chariots or iron chariots they had. They would have occupied that land if they would have exercised their faith. Don't allow others that have no faith discourage you. Don't let them tell you that living by faith is foolishness. It's not. We need to exercise faith. We need to flawlessly express it. We need to fruitfully experience it. I want you to take your Bible as we close to Matthew chapter 17. We have this example in the Word of God. Matthew chapter 17 verse 15. The disciples, of course, have sought to do miracles. And God had given them power to do them. But notice it says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft time he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. I mean, the disciples had traveled with Jesus, they'd been empowered, and they'd been given a commission, and they went out, and they were doing the work of God, and saw a number of miracles, and performed a number of miracles. But this particular father is vexed, burdened, broken. His son is still casting himself into the fire and into the water. He says, I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? What do you think he means there? Suffer you. He means put up with us. How long am I going to put up with this? Put up with you. Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Do you think Jesus ever gets frustrated with you? I know he gets frustrated with me. It'd be pretty arrogant to think that God never gets frustrated with us, wouldn't it? Oh, I've met some people who don't believe God gets frustrated with them. I don't think that's very accurate, though. I think just that they don't think that he does frustrates him. (laughs) (laughs) Then came the disciples, verse 19, to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? Jesus said unto them, notice the answer, because of your what? (laughs) Unbelief. Because of what? Wait a second. They couldn't cast them out because of their That's right. That's exactly why. Their unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed. How big is a grain of mustard seed? That's pretty small, isn't it? That's a really tiny seed. Really, 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 really small seed. Not a lot of faith, he says. Doesn't take a lot of faith. Just that little teeny weeny bit of faith. Will enable you to move mountains. You'd say, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you, he says. Faith. The children of Israel did not enter into the promised land because they didn't take the promises of God and mix them. With faith. They didn't take the Word of God and mix it with faith. You want to know why we'll fail to obtain the will of God in our life? Why we'll fall short of becoming everything God desires of us and wants us to be? Because we won't mix His Word with faith. Oh, we'll know the truth. We may have the promises at our fingertips. We do not lack the knowledge or the understanding of what it says, but we have yet to mix it with faith. I'm convinced that I don't care how good your marriage is, it's not as good as it could be if you mixed it with faith. I mean, if you took the Word of God and the promises of God and you mixed them with faith, you'd have a better marriage than you have today. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, if I would apply every biblical truth that I know about a husband, and I mixed it with faith, I'd be a better husband today than I am. You know what? That's true in every one of our lives in so many ways. Let's not let's not get to heaven one day and regret not mixing God's Word with faith. To know the truth, but not exercise the truth by faith and in faith. will not that be a sad day to realize as we look back in our life, that we could have had the promised land. We could have had the grapes of Eschil. We could have occupied the land that God intended for us. But we didn't mix his word with faith. We failed to exercise faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, again for...